Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Broken Axle. As always, I'll be your host this night, Steve. We've got our usual co-host, the nomadic giant, Craig. Hello. And a special guest tonight, Blake LeMay. How's it going? LeMay's joining us. It's a longtime friend of mine and Craig's from back in the day when we were in Charleston together. Uh, all sorts of odd projects over the years. Tonight's topic we're going to talk about is bad repairs and jank, jank that we've done, uh, jank that we've seen done, and uh, kind of how we all got started in the hobby. Because uh, everybody, well, at least I like to say everybody that I know of, has uh, at some point when they started in this not really known what they were doing and tried to do some stuff anyway. And sometimes it works out good, sometimes it works out poorly. But it's always a learning experience. Craig, you want to take hopefully it away for us with your... What's that? I said hopefully it's a learning experience. <laughs> Some people need to go around the go around more than once to get the learning out of it. Yeah. It's Craig, you want to take it away for us? What's uh what got you started in the hobby? First big so project. So my intro project. to mechanicing in general. Um I should say solo too, not without, you know, dad over my shoulder or like a scoutmaster or something like that was that, uh, I guess that red 240 that we had back in Charleston. Um, I didn't know anything about vehicles. And at the time, you know, I was just doing everything that, you know, uh, a young 17 would as far as like, Hey, I've got my independence. Let me just cut some stuff off. And the first thing I did was uh, lowering springs and they were cut TN lowering springs. And if you guys know anything about lowering springs, they're already supposed to sit lower, but I wanted to go low, low. And so we ended up lopping off, I think, a, a round and a half off of these lowering springs. And the very next day when I, life. Thing, yeah, the very next day when I put this thing up on the lift, all four springs fell out of their perches. And, and one of them actually even popped out when I was driving. It was, it was terrible. And that car, I learned everything on. Um, didn't know anything about brake boosters, so I had this uh, extra hose line that was just sitting there in the engine bay. Didn't know what it went to, so I decided to cap it off and then didn't understand why for the next week I didn't have any brakes. Um, and then the, probably the worst and what made me kind of do a, a 180 on that car was when I had bought a set of 4x114.3 wheels in perfect zero offset and put brand new tires on them and then went to go bolt it up to the car and realized that the offset wouldn't clear the brakes and then the studs weren't long enough because the physical hub on that wheel was really deep i needed a shank style lug uh turns out they were for a Datsun and not for a 240sx mm. um and it was about at that point when i realized hey I should really actually take a lot more time researching and reading stuff that does work versus just kind of throwing stuff at the car but uh yeah that was i think it was a, a 1992 240sx coupe with rattle can red paint and a barely running ka that was my little jank vehicle just throw parts at it it's fine yeah oh i almost caught the car on fire too shit uh i forgot about that story <laughs> the the usually trunks when they uh when you open the trunk they have a little light that pops on right yeah. And I was thinking, hey, my car is shitty, and I'm probably going to be working on it on the side of the road, so I want a lot more lights to turn on. And so I went to the the Reister aisle in AutoZone, as you would, 
and I picked up um, a bunch of those 3M tape like round lights that you could stick up all underneath the lip of the trunk. And then I did uh, simple butt connectors to uh, the main harness back there. So when you open up the trunk, the light would come on and the whole trunk would be illuminated. Did not think about the fact that some of these parts would actually, you know, get jostled and moved around. Had no sense of uh, what's the word that we use for uh, for current wear material. Draw. What? <laughs> had no Wherewithal. Sense of current draw. Yeah, it had no sense about that. So when one of the the wires had worn through the side of the wiring, uh, the the wiring uh, plastic, whatever else, it grounded itself to the car and caught fire. <laughs> and uh, that is my first and last time I've ever had electrical fire on a vehicle that I owned, I should say. And uh, it is just, it's not pleasant. It's uh, clear you not... haven't owned any British cars yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but that vehicle was full of jank and I learned so much about that. And I can say to this day, uh, I take electrical wiring very seriously. Um, have not had an issue as far as catching fire or putting voltage where voltage doesn't need to be since then. I've also been pretty good about wheel offsets as well and not cutting springs. <laughs> Lessons learned. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Blake? What got you into this? So my dad dropped out of high school when he was 15 to be a mechanic. So I grew up in the garage with him, but my first solo, I'm going to do this repair without anybody's help, without anybody else's tools. Uh, was a thermostat on a 91 Firebird formula. And I don't know if you've ever worked on a tune port injection motor. Unfortunately, yes. That thermostat is underneath those runners. Uh, it was supposed to be, you know, two bolts, replace the gasket, replace the thermostat, be done in a half hour. And six hours later, I finally managed to buy and scrounge up enough U-joints and extensions and get the socket where I wanted it and get everything unbolted without undoing the runners because I was not about to do that. Didn't want to do the pumps? Um, no, not even a little bit. Didn't want to replace those gaskets. And I knew if I took it apart, I should probably replace them because I was a broke college kid. Uh, gaskets are expensive. Driving. It was expensive because you're talking 2006, 2007. You're looking at three, four dollars a gallon in North Georgia. And I was driving seven or eight hundred miles a week in that car. Jesus. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was putting putting it to it. Um, going to college full time, working two jobs, one full time, one part time, and then trying to have a social life on top of it. And growing a mullet. Can't forget the. <laughs> I've had so many mullet mobiles and I've never actually had a mullet. Maybe I'll grow one when I get out of the Navy. Hell yeah. <laughs> My wife's going to hate it and I'm going to be cool with it. Are you going to get the um, handlebar mustache too? <laughs> my, my mustache comes in ginger, so I don't know that I should do that. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, it's a little, that's a little creepy. The mullet though, the mullet just really enhances it. When you say you're going to send it, nobody really believes you until the guy with a mullet says he's going to send it. Then Absolutely. it come out. <laughs> but, as far as like janky repairs, um, the same car, uh, I bought it from my mom. Uh, I had the fuel pump go out on it and to get it home, I had wired in the, uh, ATV fuel pump that you can pick up off the shelf in your local auto zone or Napa or wherever else you get your parts. Well, it's in the American rice aisle, I think. Yeah, yeah it is. But you can, pump. 
yep, you just hook it up to the battery, you put it in line with the fuel line, and you, you press go. And uh, you're not going to get much above 35 or 40 miles an hour. Uh, I was going to say, that pump's only good for like 10 pounds or something, right? Yep, nope, it, it'll get you home, though. <laughs> um, but as far as replacing that fuel pump, uh, have you ever had to drop the gas tank in no, a third-gen F-Body? I, I have. Let me guess. Did you cut a hole? I did cut a hole in the trunk. We removed the carpet, uh, used Dad's uh, pneumatic, uh, I don't even remember what it's called anymore. I remember the name of the attachment was a possum Peter, uh, and yeah, at least that's what Dad called it. And we, we cut a hole in the trunk, folded it back, replaced that fuel pump and filter, put it all back together, put some JB weld on it, and then uh, put the carpet back and looked like nothing had ever happened to it. Yup. Because I was, again, not about to drop an axle to be able to drop the gas tank. Man, I don't know I who thought that was a, a good idea. I had a third gen Firebird way back in the day. Uh, I thought I was going to have to do that until we opened the carpet up and saw that somebody had already cut out and <laughs> instead of uh, folding it back they actually just cut it out and then put a fresh piece of sheet metal down mm. screwed it down nice oh, easy day yeah right yeah, that's way easier than because i used jb weld to uh make that piece of metal go back to where it was supposed to be unfortunately the patch panel was uh what used to be a stop sign but hey whatever you know it worked, so. <laughs> and if hey. it works it's not dumb yeah if it's not it's not dumb if it works but yeah it, i'm i think those are really the only janky repairs i've done other than you know intentionally driving with my distributor a tooth off just twisted as far around as i could get it not thinking that if i just you know moved the wires around one spot that i would be just fine because you, you don't think about that until after you get the car where it's going right yeah. but yeah, as do, far as janky repairs that's... And just crank it crank the <laughs> yeah. distributor yep and then tighten the hold down clamp as tight as it'll go once you've got it as far over as it'll go. And you know you're still a tooth off, but it's good enough that you're not shooting fireballs through the carburetor anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Might be kind of boggy at the start, but hell. Yeah. Now, that was uh, that was the Volvo that I drove around for a little while in Washington. Yep. That's awesome. That's pretty apparently, crazy. Apparently that duster, from what Sean says. So, backstory for Steven here. We had that uh, 74 duster. Yeah. And me and Blake were trying to time that guy back up, and apparently Sean said that from where it was set, it was fine, and we didn't have to adjust it, but we couldn't get the damn thing started, and I think somehow it got jostled and moved. And for those of you in the in the, the internet worlds who are listening to this, Mopar distributors only have two, two little teeth on them, right? It's not like Ford or Chevy where you can put in variable slots and really fuck up timing. It's either 180 degrees in or 100 degree days out. And uh, we had that thing gronked over at, like, what, 36 degrees of timing? It was ridiculous. And the the car had wanted more, and apparently Sean had told us that, like, this was a thing that we had to to kind of look into and fix because it wanted, like, something like 70 degrees just to be happy. Um, unfortunately, we never got around to playing with it because I got rid of the project at the time. But that was something that, you know, we kind of, I, like, I, I think we went through two starters to try to get the thing to turn over and fire it. Yep. Before, you, you burned up the first one. Yeah. Before we even thought about, you know, Hey, let's check timing on this thing. And then, you know, replacing that starter was 
god-awful because we had to disassemble steering linkage to get it out through the header. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, for again, those of you in the internet world, if you don't know about um, Mopar A-bodies, the starter sits behind the driver's side header, and the original unit is about the size of a five-pound chicken. It is huge. <laughs> Um, he's not joking at all no and most and i think the repair manual says for oe applications at least um you have to remove the header and then just like remove the steering linkage and in some cases it's just easier to kind of tilt the transmission back and get the engine up and out a little bit um good news is for you guys in the mopar world if you have to replace a starter you can ask for uh what was it a 2004 5. Something 5. off a of Durango. Yeah, 5.9 liter Durango starter, and they call it the quote-quote mini starter, but because it's not a quote-quote mini starter, it's like one-third of the cost, and you can get it from AutoZone, and it, it fits up, and it, it you can slide the thing in between long tubes. <laughs> yeah. yeah that I have was a... zero sympathy for your starter woes. I owned an LT5. Oh. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. First off, first off, you didn't have he, to replace the starter. He owned the 1UZ, it's the same and thing. And the 1UZ, it's, it's the same the thing. It's in the oil valley, and they're awful. <laughs> and water collects in there, and guess what? Guess who lives in Washington for five years? We did. <laughs> yeah. Without a, without a hood, too. That 240, I think, spent more time without a hood than with a hood the entire time I had it. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. Although, oh, there's less stuff in the valley of the 1UZ than there is in an LT5. There is. That's true. Uh, Dual camp for the win. <laughs> They're both dual overhead cams. Really? Question mark? Yeah. On the LT? Yeah, LT5s are dual overhead rod. cams. No. Oh, wow. That's why it barely fits in the C4. Uh, oh, I do have other oh, what you got. tanky repairs. <laughs> so when I first moved up to Washington uh, into 2013, I left my truck in Tennessee and I flew out there. And so I was looking for a vehicle and talking to my LPO during cleaning stations at the end of the day. And the shipyard Bubba overheard the conversation. was like, hey, uh, I got a couple of trucks. I'll make you a killer deal on. If you can get them out of my yard, you can have them. And so I was like, all right, I'll come take a look at them. And if they're worth doing anything with, I'll come take them off your hands. So the, the first of the two trucks was a 93 Suburban 2500, 454. Uh, whatever transmission they crammed behind those things, and two-wheel drive. He used it as a tow rig to drag his camper down to Burning Man Festival. And So it's full it of drugs. Uh, no, it was completely empty. Um, he was full of drugs all the time, I guarantee it. <laughs> but irrelevant. Yeah. But he said it had been T-boned by a Toyota Corolla. So it was just fine. Okay. The uh, rear yeah. passenger door didn't seal right at the top. So I just put some extra big weather stripping up there to take care of that. And then used a come along to yank the body panel out at the bottom to kind of line the door back up. Nice. But all it needed was a starter. I bought a starter for it and I drove that thing away. A starter for a 454 costs 80 something dollars uh and weighs 50 something pounds yeah it is ridiculous uh but you know big block and it was awesome and then i spent 300 dollars doing a tune-up on it and then a hundred dollars every time i tried to fill it up because it had a 42 gallon tank that sounds yeah. awful 
but also glorious it, in all the right American it, ways. It was. It was glorious. And because he used it as a tow rig, he had swapped out the rear gears for something that got highway mileage. So it actually got like 16 or 18 on the highway. Double digits. Wow. Yeah. yeah Solid right. for a 454 in a Suburban. <laughs> yeah. I all think the aerodynamic four... qualities of a brick. Yeah. <laughs> but my it had... Got seven. Yeah. It did. Yours Lack did. In that... What was it? A 77, 78 C20 that you had? It was so I looked at the my insurance card on it. It was an 80s. It was an 82 uh, C10. Mm. Um, okay. Single cab long bed in bright red. We called Reba, and she was yep. she was beautiful in every way. <laughs> Except the but, gas station. Yeah, pass anything but a gas station. Pass anything but a gas station. It those tiny tires, by the way, did not hold up at all. It, it did good for like you know normal driving and like towing, but as far as like trying to get the hook, no. No, not at all. Say it's not so. A truck with a big block can't hook. <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, no way. At all. <laughs> uh, she was Let a baby. Uh, how am I getting started in the hobby? I mean, I guess my very first car uh, arrived to me with a blown engine. So, you know, doing an engine swap was like the day one. But uh, I had a lot of help with that one. So can't really take a lot of credit there. And it was... You know, just a bone stock. Yeah, pull the engine out of the, pull the engine out of a car of the exact same model and everything. Swap it over. No rocket science there. But uh, a few, I don't know, like two years after that, I had a, a Z31 at the time, 88 300ZX, hmm. that suffered a catastrophic bottom end engine failure. Unusual, right? Uh, just out of nowhere, <laughs> horrendous rod knock. Mm-hmm. started pricing out rebuilding the Z, the VG30 and uh, it was at the time obnoxiously expensive broke ass college student much like Blake's story I ain't got money for that no uh, I was talking to my dad about what to do and uh, you know he looked at it and was looking at some stuff with me and the you know, situation didn't appear to be improving and my dad half jokingly was like well shit son it'd be just about cheaper to just slap a small block in there wouldn't it <laughs> And then the tape measure came out and, you know, it, t- it went from a, you know, mildly joking discussion to a, well, you know how these things go. <laughs> went from a joking discussion to a, this might actually fit. Indeed, I do know, know how that discussion goes. <laughs> My Volvo right? in Washington had a small block in it. Yeah. yeah, right. You start joking about it and then you start looking at stuff and you're like, wait a minute, this, this could actually happen. <laughs> and it did, uh, you know. Just <laughs> dropped in a small block in a TH400, welded up some mounts, and uh, that was that. That actually it wasn't. It wasn't super janky, but it kind of was. Uh, solid engine mounts, just literally put some triangles of steel lined up on the engine mounts on the block. Let the cherry picker, you know, set the motor down in the bay, kind of where we wanted it, and just welded them to the front cross member. Yeah. Rubber I engine mean, that mounts sounds very nah, much like the Volvo. We don't do that yeah. here. Because the I've Volvo seen... just had a metal square tube cross member that yep. Sean yep. and I welded up, and then we just Weld the welded. Yeah, you know, we welded. Uh, well, I mean, it had the normal mounts on the engine, but as far as mounting to that cross member, it was just a round tube that the bolt would fit through, welded on the corner of said mount nice. after notching it. 
And it works. Yeah, that's pretty much what it, we did. Oh, yeah. It works real we well. Use the BFH clearance the trans tunnel. Probably the only <laughs> piece of jank, I would say, in that whole setup was the... Uh, I figured out after putting the whole thing together that uh, TH-400s have to have a dipstick in them. Mm. Otherwise, they piss fluid out the dipstick hole. So that's not... Uh, you know, that doesn't work. No. Not for long. Uh, I neglected to leave enough clearance around the tunnel, uh, as mentioned by the previous BFH situation, <laughs> yep. to fit the dipstick. Uh, and, you know, this is like the cars together. It runs. It just pisses fluid everywhere. And I'm just, you know, over over it at this point. Done fucking with it. So out comes the two-inch hole saw from inside the car. Mm. Lined up over where the, the dipstick goes. <laughs> dipstick ran in the cabin along the trans tunnel. No, easy day. Hell yeah. <laughs> it was uh it was hilarious, but also just terrible in every way. Like thankfully I never had to take that car through tech after that point. <laughs> I can I can only imagine the reactions of tech. Uh, well but so it specifically nope. says you have to maintain an engine firewall, nothing about a transmission firewall. Yeah. Right? I still feel like tech would be like, <laughs> absolutely not, get that out of here. That's it. What's that? So they'd just be nitpicking at that point. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it is a, a small block swapped Z31. At what point did you expect it to be good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, that being said, nowadays, the, the go-to, like, if I want to go fast for cheap and have a somewhat decent, like, you know, ride or whatever else, is exactly the, the small block swapped Volvo. It gives you... <laughs> four-wheel disc brakes right it gives you a rear end that actually hold the power and then the chassis itself so long as you get one of the higher end volvos it gives you all of those things yeah 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 then it could also give you a drum brake death trap (laughs) this is true this is very true and apparently the volvo uses a standard bolt pattern for wheels so wheels aren't really it does it uses the same one as the five lug mustangs yeah yep which is a five by one fourteen point three and then some weird uh, center bore. But you can just go buy wheels for a Mustang, and they'll bolt right up. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Oh, Let's man. see. Uh, trying, trying to think of jank. other stuff. Slightly before that, uh, that Saturn that was my first car. Yeah. I lowered it. Uh, initially, step one, I lowered it with those uh, from the rice aisle. I don't think they even sell these anymore. Uh, U-bolt looking clamp things <laughs> clamp down to they do not together. sell those anymore do they not I haven't seen They're them in not, a long time. I have not seen them the last couple times I've been in and I just That's make probably, a point to walk down that aisle to go down memory lane it's probably for the best that they don't sell those anymore that was uh, yeah no uh, in case oh, anybody geez. ever sees one of those in a later year uh, it, it's terrible they don't work would it be what U-bolt spring clamp yeah, they sold it as a lowering kit, universal lowering kit. Yeah. Oh, God. It was bad. And it's just like a piece of bar stock. Yeah, a piece of bar stock you... with a couple of bolts, and you just clamp two of yeah. your springs together. Yeah, clamp two of the coils together so that they can't spread out, and you've lowered your car by however much that one coil is worth. Yep. Oh, God. I'm actually, I found it, the two-way <laughs> adjustable steering or spring spacer. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Oh, yeah, you oh, can man. flip the bolts around and use it as a lift kit, too. Yeah, oh, yeah that's a thing, too. I wouldn't <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would. do that. 
I would I lower did. it that way before I tried to lift it that way. <laughs> I lowered a car with those and I lifted my first Bronco with one of those uh, big cast. I think there was zinc or some shit. Uh, basically a wedge that you crank into the coil. Got okay. like a half inch drive socket thing on it and you just <laughs> twist it in. That's like some old school NASCAR stuff too. Like, yeah, I need some more spring right in the back. Okay, I'll just knock in these wedges real fast. Yeah, it was... <laughs> pretty gangster not gonna lie that was uh not one of my prouder moments but hey you know uh didn't didn't know any better at the time what can i say i do and it's not dumb if it works it's not dumb if it works so that is true it does lower the car yeah for like seven (laughs) dollars if you guys want to talk about it's not dumb if it works we're gonna switch gears here to like janky like get it get it working yeah, topics man. or like first experience i have a commonplace uh trick or jank that i do almost on a yearly basis now with how i swap out cars and that's how to remove a mcpherson strut spring from its perch while it's under you know tension without <laughs> using a mcpherson strut compressing tool and the guys here know exactly what i'm talking about but again it what says it Please say it's, it's not ties. dumb. It's not dumb if it works. Guys. It has about 30 zip ties. <laughs> it's not dumb if it works. A zip tie will hold about 50 pounds of pressure. And if you can do the math for a standard spring rate on a bigger vehicle, you need about 30 of them. I put, I think 25 was about where it's supposed to be, but then another five for, you know, precautionary methods. Because safety. Hang on, hang on. Did you just say that you're using some extras for safety factor while using zip ties to hold your springs down? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I've done this, and I've never had zip ties like start snapping on me. Because once one goes, they'll start in 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 congression. Right. right? That's the problem. Is once you lose one, cover. it's game over. I will say this though. I have upgraded that whole zip tie spring compression method to now hose clamps, which work a lot better. Turns out you only need about five host clamps, and then I use about two of the big Jesus. industrial strength zip bands. And uh, <laughs> for, for any of you guys out there, uh, the the broken axle does not encourage you to do this method at all whatsoever. It's right. on my vocation. Jesus, Craig. But <laughs> but if you guys are out late night and the shops are closed and you don't have a spring compressor, it does work, and it's not stupid if it works. You know um, what, though? Uh, in Craig's defense here, and this is really stupid, so it's not really in his defense, but uh, suicide sticks, as uh, the common knowledge or the common term for those spring compressors uh, that are literally just two threaded rods and a couple of hooked yeah. pieces of metal, yeah. I don't know that those are really much safer, if Fair I'm honest not. here. I'd rather use the zip ties. Well, yeah. so, and, and the idea is that you're, you're distributing the amount of pressure needed to clamp the springs over many of these bands, either, you know, hose clamps or zip ties, because I think I use six hose clamps. Yeah. The the suicide sticks, it's two, right? They have four points of contact, and you're compressing on both left and right side. And if you're not perfectly 180 degrees from each other, there's amount of torsional strength that gets stressed on them. And if these things fucking slip, you know, all that spring pressure, whopping. It's now know, going sideways. It's now going sideways. Boing typically either off the wall or at your face and invariably into the side of the car. Um, so I don't think they're that much better either. And if I, and honestly, the last time I used those, I think I did use zip ties as, a, as like the, like a, a precautionary method. As your backup method. 
Right. <laughs> like three of them bundled on top of each other is 150 pounds of force, right? And so, like, even if this thing does slip off and fall, whatever else I have is the fucking zip tie. Yeah, it sounds stupid, but I have a it, I have a does. band of hose clamps that are only used for uh, compressing springs, and they work. Oh my god! So uh, let me let me throw you in on the uh, the Steve method of dropping springs without using a spring compressor. Okay, which is only slightly less terrifying than Craig's. Do you keep it in the vehicle and then just jack up on the vehicle? Yeah, put a jack under the control arm and then remove the nut. Load up yeah. the coil, remove yeah. the nut, and then slowly let the jack down. Yep. Mm. Depends on your front sus- or your suspension setup. If the suspension has enough travel, yeah, like the suspension has more travel than the strut does, then the strut will unload and eventually, you know, yeah, the spring is, isn't under pressure <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Um, and that does yeah. work. Uh, I will precaution guys who think about using that method. That that top nut <laughs> don't is attached don't. to the strut. The <laughs> yeah, don't don't. And if you turn the strut rod assembly too many times, you can damage the internal, uh, the seals, and then that strut no longer becomes good. And uh, it's, you know, it's make sure that you're not doing that. That would be. The, oh, make the sure you're not spinning the uh, the shock shaft. Yeah, the shock shaft, the shock rod inside of the, when you're trying to get the nut off, because that nut is typically, I think, uh, nylock. Uh, it's a locking nut of some sort. So typically, yeah, uh, typically. You, the top of the strut has an Allen key or Torx or something like that on it. Yeah. You use that to hold the strut body stationary while you use an open-ended wrench or box wrench yep. to loosen the nut. Or you're a lazy bum like literally all of us and you just use an impact. <laughs> a couple of Yeah. Numbers. I should probably buy an impact at some point. Oh, dude, I do really not have an impact. First off, I, I do everything uh, by hand. I don't know. Go to Home Depot. Ryobi days is still going on. Yep. Get an impact and two batteries for 99 bucks. Like what are you yeah. doing with your life right now? I have literally done that. And if anybody from Ryobi corporate is, is listening in on it, me and Steven are huge fans, by the way, I, I just jumped on this bus like two weeks ago and I have an impact driver for years. Yeah. I My have an impact on. driver an impact hammer. And then I have a drill and they're all Ryobi powered. And when it says 300 foot pounds, I believe it. That thing will bust anything. Yeah. Uh, for one, the Ryobi half inch impact like changes your, like the cordless half inch impact changes your life. You start looking at like every bolt and going, yeah, fuck that. I'm not cranking that out by hand. <laughs> I, I still I am damn near 30 years old and I still have both rotator cuffs and I have not torn any ligaments in my shoulders because of Ryobi. There you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you get you find yourself getting lazy. You look at like bolts. You're like, nope, not doing that. Yeah, I could. The but I just don't want to. <laughs> Uh, also shout out for Ryobi. Uh, they make a three eighths inch 18 volt, uh, ratchet competitive or, you know, in theory competitive with like the Milwaukee, uh, fuel electric ratchet. Yes. But they don't sell it in the States yet. So, uh, y'all should probably get on that because yeah, <laughs> I want it. Yeah. Bring it here and save our wrists even more wear and tear. Yeah. And Blake. Yeah, definitely for sure. Um, I think I was able to pick up both the driver and the impact for 200 bucks. And then the batteries are, you know, plus whatever. And some of them come with batteries. I, I think Steven said to pick up a three amp hour battery just to get the full, the full. Yeah. Umpha. But, but right now they have a special for two batteries and a tool of your choice for a hundo. Mm. And the impact is the one you need. There you well, go. it is. Cause I have everything else I would ever need. I think. 
Yeah, no, the impact is only one impact right now. Uh, I'm trying to think of other stuff that we've done that's janky. I do remember sitting at the side of the road and using grade five hardware to hold in the U joints on a truck. You remember? Um, that was Chris's truck. That, that uh, was... little Toyota that had the Chevy V6 in it. Yeah, it went from four wheel drive to front wheel drive, and then we had, yeah. to, we had to go out there and fix it real fast to get him home. Um, that wasn't really jank though. That was just but, more of a get it home, and it did work. So yeah, thankfully yeah, that, the the Napa was right there, and they were willing to press in the new yeah U joint on his axle. Yeah, that's pretty outstanding. Um, I've used radiator hose to fix an Evo before. Um, standard kid modified his vehicle, then somehow blew off a heater hose by his turbo. I think sloppy maintenance practice, like pre tore it. And so we're sitting by the side of the road and this thing's puking hot coolant and some police officers are like, you got to get this thing off the side of the road because, you know, it's a hot boy Evo car and officers don't like street racers. So we ran, yeah. to, the, we ran to the store and I bought, I had him buy a screwdriver, a length of, uh, I, I don't even think it was radiator hose. I think it was just like whatever inner diameter hose would fit. And we went back to the car, I ripped the thing off and he had like two feet of a hose that was sitting between the engine and the heater the heater core but got him home nice um yeah coolant systems are pretty easy to work on they're just standard hoses nothing special yep. right so uh there's another one for you gents uh wrapping this up in the last of our topics the sure. worst repairs you've seen oh uh, anything know, right? anything it's, it's body kits but... yeah this might this might go on to a part two, but any 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 body kit that is being held on with self tapping screws. Wait, that's that's not the way you put your wide body on. I thought that was normal drifter <sighs> policy. No. no, nowadays. No, nowadays... you drill two holes: one in the wide body kit, one in the fender, and then you use zip ties. Oh, my bad. No. I forgot about the zip ties. That's the... oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> that one's bad. Um, and this this was a thing about four or five years ago. Zip tie stitching was cool. Now it's not. Now you can actually use. It a... wasn't cool. People just. It wasn't said... cool then. <laughs> now you can use uh, what they call a zip, or they call it a plastic soldering, and that actually repairs uh, modern day bumpers pretty good. Um, if yeah, it's plastic welding. It's, it's been around for yeah, a minute. Yeah, plastic welding. Yeah, and uh, it's it's pretty easy to work with, and if you can do any sort of soldering, it's as simple as melting yeah. plastic into holes. And if you have a fiberglass place. bumper, it doesn't matter because it exploded into a million pieces when you, when yeah. you get something. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you if you have a fiberglass body kit, get yourself some ABS plastic or take it to a boat shop. Um, that's like the de facto fix for like Vipers who have bad body panels. Dodge wants to charge you $12,000, take it to a boat shop. Yeah. Um, it's not Spoken like somebody that's never owned a Corvette. <laughs> yeah. It's not dumb if it works. Uh, what about you, Blake? Some crazy jankiness? Uh, ever seen? Yeah. Oh. I don't know. I mean, I've seen some some dumb stuff to get a car home. Done some dumb stuff to get a car home. But <laughs> talked about a lot of it already. Uh, just trying to get it home. Just, you know, you see bad repairs and just straight up terrifying. Like, oh, my God, yeah. I, you drove that like on the road. Oh, do we want so, to talk about what I did? With which the time, Greg? <laughs> with the yeah, which time? With, 
with the Mustang right now, like as it's sitting right now in my garage. Oh, oh. holding your shocks in? That's, that's no, no, close no, no. To Jackie, dude. There's there's two bolts and they're <laughs> they're slotted. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's like, janky. I was here uh, as a student still, and it was during power school. I think my wife was out of town. One of our buddies wanted to go mudding, so we all piled into his mid seventies Bronco, and we went down Bushy Park and we hung a left into what's now a subdivision, but it was just a muddy field back then and a trail through the woods. And he had just bought new wheels and tires for his Bronco. And similar to Craig's issue, uh, the studs were not long enough for these wheels. And so when he torqued them down, uh, he overstrained some of them and broke. And so the the studs on this wheel just broke while we were out in the middle of this trail and all of a sudden we're all looking up and to the right because the back left wheel fell off of his bronco nice. um he did have a crowbar and a hammer so we we took the other wheels off and took a stud from each of them to in the middle of the night manage to get these studs into the other side so that we could hold that wheel on to get home so you got three studs that's enough right yeah i mean it was enough to go the three miles to the house once we got out of the woods (laughs) but the next day it was it was rough (laughs) getting everything because i don't know what we did but we could not get those studs back out of that wheel or that hub that is a that's a piece there yeah wheel just fell off yeah yeah there's four dudes in this bronco and all of a sudden i think i was on the back right and jeff was in the back left and all of a sudden he like hits his head on the ceiling as the truck falls faster than he does <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I had a, a, right after I got my diesel truck, I had a buddy in Charleston with a, a F-250 that, uh, complaining of bad ride quality. They're taking a look around the front end and realized that his front right shock absorber just isn't attached to anything. <laughs> oh, God. Just hanging out in space. Don't know where the upper... The shock is attached to the body at the top, but it's not attached to the axle. Oh, God. And, uh, you know, he's contemplating what to do about the situation. Which, I mean, uh, I suggested do nothing about it because he's been driving it this way for some period of time. (laughs) Right. No point in putting any effort in now. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't say not to fix it, but like it didn't require a roadside repair. It wasn't any sketchier than it was already. (laughs) Right. For anybody that's ever driven a solid axle like F-250 or uh, any of the Dodge trucks, their front ends aren't great even when they're in good shape. They pretty much run the gamut from terrible to, oh my God, we're going to die. And is, are, <laughs> are these the vehicles that have the, the, the death wobble? Yes, yes, that is where the death wobble comes from. Track yeah, bar, so solid axle front ends with leaf springs. If you guys... You guys don't know what the death wobble is. Imagine if some 250-pound heavy dude, while you're driving the car, just decided to shake the steering wheel about four four inches from center to left and right. 
while you were trying to go straight. That's the death wobble. Yeah. And then when you get on the brakes, <laughs> it gets worse. Yeah. Oh, man. But, uh, so, Tom's idea, since we didn't obviously have a, you know, I forget what it was, probably like a fucking 5 eighths bolt or something like that, the bottom shock mount bolt. It's a pretty decent size, dealy. Was to stuff as many half inch zip ties as would fit through the hole. Through the hole. <laughs> and attach the shock absorber with zip ties. Surprisingly, it actually worked for at least a day or two. I don't know. Yeah, it just shoves zip ties through the, through the shock mount hole. Works great. Oh, man. Trying to think. It does pretty think. zip ties fix everything. I mean, it does. And they're, they're, they're legitimately duct tape. Or EB Red is even better, but duct tape and uh, zip ties are like a for sure, like carry that with you anywhere. Oh, the things I could have fixed if I had known that EB Red existed before I joined the Navy. Yeah, right. right. No, 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 actually, (laughs) no joke, I literally just bought a roll of EB Red on Amazon. It's way too expensive, and I don't care. Yeah, it's like, what, $27 a roll? Uh, Yeah, it's uh, 30-something now, but yeah. Is it the Nashua brand, or is it the 3M brand? Nashua, of course. Yeah, because the 3M brand is the dirt cheap stuff. For you civilians out there who wouldn't know what EB Red is off the cuff, it is a nuclear-grade, low-chloride content, submersible tape that makes duct tape look like a piece of paper, honestly. Um, (laughs) Duct tape is a joke. Yeah, duct tape is a joke compared to EB Red, and it is one of the most expensive up there with like how much we spend on the nuclear program with paint. EB Red is probably the second most expensive consumable that we have, and it is wonderful it is a gift to god not the 3m stuff because the 3m stuff it is good but it's not it's not the legendary you know yeah it's not it's not the legendary nuclear grade stuff nashua nashua is the one you want yep that's not the right stuff i'm trying to look for it right now and i'm it's on it's a 357n 357n okay Home Depot has it apparently inside their inventory. Yeah, yeah, it's Question crazy mark. the places that you find it. But uh, for anybody out there, if you're looking, you know, because you drive a janky old beater like we do, and uh, you know, well, at least like we used to, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you want something to keep in the car to like seal up, you know, emergencies and anything on the road. This shit <laughs> will get it done, son. Yep. This like, honest to God, I'd feel pretty okay about wrapping up a split radiator hose with it. Oh, can they would hold. get you home. It definitely would. Yeah. Um, same thing with exhaust pipes. I'd even do like a fuel hose if you had a split and fuel hose line. Brake hose. Oh, probably hold that too. Mm. Brake. I don't know what a brake hose. That's pretty bold. Yeah. Well, brake fluid is is the devil. So. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I say well, I'm covered in it, but it's it's the worst thing known to man for anything that's a, a simple hydrocarbon, which is aka right. anything that's adhesive. Side note: While singing the praises of uh, Nashua EB Red. It will not stick to blood, in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> no, it won't. So at if all. you're trying to use it as a Band-Aid, you need to put it a piece of cloth work. on there first. Yeah. It does not work as a Band-Aid very good at all. Stick to everything however, else, normal man. You can, however, tape up your uh, your wound with some of that blue shop towel and then stick some red around that. Yeah, as a compression that absolutely works. Great. Do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Soak the shop towel in some denatured alcohol first, and then you're disinfecting it. Or dechlorinated brake clean. There you go. 
whatever works, man. It's not it's not dumb if it works. Oh right? God, I hope none of you ever come to work in an o- in a shop that actually has OSHA. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be the death of me. Oh man, it's even better than that. So uh, for the rest, of- in a world of OSHA violations. <laughs> <laughs> So for the rest of you guys out there, let us know. Um, we have a Facebook page now, The Broken Axle. Um, I think it's just called The Broken Axle on Facebook. And um, you can find me on Instagram underneath nomadic.wheelman is my uh, my tag. And uh, we will be looking for your comments on your worst repairs, jankiest stories, the just-get-at-home repairs, or maybe even just bad garage practices because apparently we all have our dirty undersides. And uh, I'm going to throw it over to Blake here to talk about a little bit what he does. Other than being in the Navy, that is. Yeah. Uh, on Facebook, I'm LeMay's Creative Works or LeMay Creative Works. I can't remember which it is right now. My wife set it up. But I've been turning pins and rings and all other manner of things out of wood on my lathe for the last year or so. Um, and recently actually started up an actual shop. Uh, so if you're looking for high-end pins or uh, wooden rings or anything else like that, shoot me a message over there. And I think uh, that about does it. Stephen, any last comments? No, no, I think uh, I think we got it pretty good. I think LeMay's under, underselling himself a little bit. I've seen some of yeah. his work, gorgeous stuff, and uh, a couple of the custom pieces, like the Constitution pins, that was that was an amazing piece, man. Yep. Yeah. Uh, a while back. I really enjoy doing the high end stuff. So if you've got any ideas, shoot me a line. And he does exotic materials. Well, I wouldn't say exotic, but like hard to get materials. I have a pen that's made from the old deck planks of the the Missouri, which is about as cool as it can possibly get, short of like um, maybe a wooden U boat deck or uh, the Constitution itself. Yeah, for sure. All right. All right, people, I think that get just... out there, go bust a knuckle. Yeah, and don't drive like my brother.